Good morning, and let us pray together as we begin. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time of worship. Thank you that we can gather together in freedom. And thank you for all that are here, both online and in person. And Lord, I pray that you have already touched our hearts. I pray that you've already touched our lives. That these songs have been a reminder of who you are and what you have brought into each and every one of our lives who claim Jesus Christ as Lord. And Father, we are going to continue our worship through your word. We thank you for the power that your word has to transform us, the spirit of God working in our lives, to remind us of the wonderful gift that we have of salvation. So Lord, we give this morning to you. We pray that you would speak into the lives of all that are gathered this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, great. Have a seat. Um, and by the way, it's time to release the grades one to five to their class. And also for the youth, this is the first Sunday that the youth has their study going on this morning as well. And while that exodus is happening, I want to remind you that right after every service that we have here at Village Green, we have a prayer room that um, if you need prayer, if you want to join together with somebody in the prayer room and have them pray with you and commit that time, uh, together, our prayer room is in the overflow room, which is, um, as you walk out these side doors here, the very first corridor on your right will lead you into the prayer room, and uh, we'll have people there after the service. I, I just forget that it's there, okay? And I, I should be reminding people more and more that the prayer room is available to you because we want to... Um, you know, help you and pray with you and equip you as much as we can on this uh, really important journey that we're all on in this spiritual walk. So if there's anything that's burdening your heart this morning, um, you know, after service, you're welcome to go and pray with someone. And everything is confidential too, by the way, okay? Pray with you. Um, all right, we are doing a series called Messy Life. And I just want to begin by saying, life is messy. Life is unfair. You know, all, all of that kind of stuff, okay? And, and in, in some ways, it's, it's a bit, you know, we're, we're sort of hitting at uh, common themes as, as we're looking at this particular series. But can we just say that there may be some things in our lives that we can kind of avoid in, in, and not make it as messy as it needs to be, right? And that's what this series is about. Maybe, maybe making us aware of some of the things that we're bringing into our lives that are making life a little bit messier than it is. Um, but we're all human. We all have, have uh, you know, these weaknesses that, that we live with. But I'm going to talk about a particular, uh, I, I think, problem in many people's lives that really add to the messiness. But before I get to that one, I want to remind us that for this series, we have a theme verse, okay, coming out of Philippians 1.6. And the theme verse is being confident of this. This is the Apostle Paul 
writing in Philippians, who is in prison at the time. And he's writing this to the church in Philippi. He says, being confident of this, that he, Christ, who began a good work in you, or God, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I'm really thankful for the few of you that reminded me that Paul is writing to a church. That it's a collective truth. Okay? And, and, that's, and that's fair. But can I argue that this is just as powerful on a single person um, reality as it is for a group? Because I really believe that this passage is talking to each and every one of us individually. Even though it's true of the collective of the church overall, it's very, it's, it's, it's because it, it taps into some very key elements of God that sometimes we struggle with, that God is good, that when God invades our lives, he starts doing things in us that maybe we don't fully understand all the time, or maybe we don't fully realize that they're for our betterment and for our good in the long run. But that's a work that God does in our lives from the moment that we claim faith in Christ that continues until Christ's return. Okay? So, you know, argumentatively, this is, you know, spoken to a church overall, but I think it's one of those blanket um, realities and truths that each and every one of us can embrace. Okay? So, the Apostle Paul was confident that God was doing a good work in his life, even though he is wallowing in prison at the time. Okay? So, that's, uh, you know, just want to remind you that that is our theme verse. And it'll probably make a little bit more sense when we talk about the actual topic we're talking about this morning. And the topic we're talking about is how our past affects our present. And not just our present, but our future as well. That there are things that are going on or have happened to us in the past that dramatically affect the reality of our present and the reality of our future. Now, I'm not a, um, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor, you know. But I'm, I'm pooling a lot of this from about 30, 30 years in pastoral ministry. And talking to a lot of people. And I thought to myself, when I'm in my office, I'm going, you know what? Um, of all the people that I've talked about who have struggled with, you know, problems that are affecting them in the present and how, how it's changed the way they view certain things in their lives, you know, how do they view the past? And I thought to myself, how do I view my past? If, if, I'm, if somebody says to me, you know, you know John, how, how do you see your past? Every time you think about the past, how do, you, how do you view it? How do you look at it? And in my experience, and you may totally disagree with this, and if you're in a life group, you get to argue this in your life group. That's the cool part. Okay? But when I think of my past, for instance, I only view it through two lenses. Okay? Here's the, here's the first lens. The, 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 you know, the first way I look at it. Number one is I view it the moments I would love to relive. Okay? 
the moments I would love to relive. Now, when I think of these particular moments, here's, here's what happens, or emotionally what happens, at least to me. I don't know if this happens to you. But I find joy. I find peace. I find nostalgia. I find a peace, uh, a, a sense of loss or longing, depending on what it is. You know, I think of people that I've, I've, I've loved and have lost in my life, you know, and I long to return to those kinds of moments that we enjoyed together. You know, other, other you know, um, you know, other moments I love to relive, you know, created moments of, of incredible joy. They were wonderful memories. I don't know if that's the same for you. And the second one that comes up for me all the time is the moments I would love to change. The moments I would love to change. Those are the only two categories that ever come into my mind when I think of the past. And when I think about moments I would love to change, here's what comes up emotionally for me. Regret, hurt, grief, anger. Now, what's very interesting, um, and again, if, 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 if you're in this line of work and you can prove me incorrect, I'm, I'm willing to take correction on this particular thing. But in my experience, when it comes to the people who relive their past, it's these, it's the second category, the things I would love to change, that often are the most memories that are recounted. Okay? Um, and not only that, but I, you know, you talk about a certain situation, whatever it is out of your past, and you relive the regret. You relive the hurt. You relive the grief. You know, you relive the anger. I just, just this week, I was talking to somebody and and it was, it was just one of those conversations where um, we just happened to be talking about something that we both knew we experienced together. And I was really shocked because as the person was retelling it, they were, they were reliving the anger that that situation brought out. And they were just like, you know, it was like we were right back there again. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's kind of like what we do. And yet for most of us, when we relive the past, when we think about the past, we bring all of those emotion things into the present. And some of us react to the world that we live in simply because of the way that things have happened to us in the past that become triggers in the present that affect the way we respond and affect the way that we have relationships with other people, how we see the world, how we see God, how we see love, how we see relationships, all of this kind of stuff happens because of these two main things. Now, I don't know about you, I kind of racked my brain, but there's no other place that I go when I think of my past. These are the two biggies. And this is where I land. And this is where I fall. So, how do, how do we move on from here? How do we, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Because does God want us living in the past in the sense that, you know, the past is what, you know, the past can be a great teacher. 
But do we allow it to teach us the way God intended for the past to teach us? That's what the past can be, is a great teacher. And, you know, we hear all the time, you know, those who uh, forget the past are doomed to what? Repeat it, you know, or, or relearn it. Or what's the other adage? Those who are doomed, uh, those who forget the past, those who don't forget the past are doomed to watch those who forget the past and neglect to, you know, learn from it. We're doomed to watch them, right? You ever, you ever hear that, that second adage, right? That's, that's, that's the other one. So even though you may learn from the past, you're surrounded by people who aren't learning from the past, and you kind of fall into that same, <laughs> that same, that same pattern, okay? So here's what, here's what we're going we're gonna to look at. We're going to look at a few passages today and just talk a little bit about how this affects us and what we can do about it, okay? So we're looking again at the book of Philippians, and I want to read this passage from the Apostle Paul as he's writing from a prison. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters. Now, he's talking about achieving, achieving perfection. He wants the power of the resurrection. These are really big theological themes about living in the power of Christ, living in the power of the resurrection. This is what Paul is, is longing to achieve in his life. And he says, I've not achieved it yet, okay, but I focus on this one thing. This is the beautiful, you know, kind of, you know, laser intention of the Apostle Paul. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. And again, this achieving that Paul is talking about, Paul has committed his life to living it fully for Jesus Christ. And he's lived it in such a way that no matter what he finds or circumstances that he finds himself in, you know, he is forgetting about the past and pressing on to what Christ has for him in his life. Paul is not allowing the burden of the past, you know, to become a burden for the present or the burden for his future. His past is a season of learning. His past is a season that informs his present, but doesn't consume it and doesn't dictate it and doesn't allow it to temper what God has for him in the present. It's, it's something that's very, very important. We don't forget the past, but we do learn from it. And we do say, what does God have in the past for me that I need to learn to have in the present? Here's another passage that I want to take us to, and we're going to sort of spend the time here. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. This is the Apostle Paul again, writing to the church at Corinth. And he says this, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. By the way, if you're a Christian here today, isn't that a powerful statement for each and every one of us? Just think about that for a minute. Here's the Apostle Paul who has you know, lived his life prior to becoming a believer as a Pharisee, you know, dedicated to the Torah, 
dedicated to living out the ritual and the rites of the Torah. And, you know, suddenly becoming a believer in Jesus Christ, he stops evaluating people from a human point of view. From a human point of view, we put people into categories, okay? Losers, winners, successful, <laughs> you, you know, um, lazy. <laughs> yeah, the list is endless, right? And we just, we just put people in all, the, all these kinds of categories, all right? But Paul, Paul says, you know, done away with that. Done away with that. I don't look at people from a human point of view. I look at people as if they are made in the image of God. I look at people as valuable to God. I look at everyone as worthy of the message of the gospel. Beautiful. Beautiful. Amen. Okay? That's a whole different... Is, and that's, and, and can we just say in, in, in the world that we live in of categories, Republican, Democrat, you know, on and on, okay, liberal, conservative, okay? That's a whole different category of living, period. A whole different level of, you know, of, of, of living. And Paul has embraced this new category of living. So I've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. Another powerful statement. Another powerful statement. How differently we know him now. That, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. In other words, you are now a new creation in other, in other uh, translations, that you have become a new creation. To become a new creation is a matter of faith. Okay? We live in a culture that says no one changes. We live in a culture that says your past can determine your present and your future. Okay? We, we live in a culture that doesn't believe in true transformation. Or, I only believe the change as long as I can witness it long enough to make sure that they've truly changed. Okay? That's, that's just the culture that we live in. And, you know, in all honesty, there is something to be said for that. But the fact of the matter, if you truly believe what the Bible talks about, the change that can happen in a person when the Spirit of God invades their life. Amen. There is something about transformation that happens that is real. Okay? I, I remember a mentor saying to me many, many times, you know, uh, so many years, drilled it into my head. He said, the very best we can humanly do is reform a person, but only the Spirit of God can transform a person. And that stuck in my mind all the time. And I remember, I remember there's times where I was doing things and I was working hard to help somebody and, and people would go and I, and you know, it's like, and then they would fall back a little bit and I'd get so disappointed, I'd get so upset and it's like, wait, wait, wait a minute. 
You're not the one responsible for this. You're not the one. You can help as much as possible. You be there and accountable as much as possible. You lead the way as much as possible. But true transformation happens when the Spirit of God grips that heart to such a degree that the change happens. Are we praying for that, by the way? Are we praying? And are we being the best example of what transformation actually looks like in people's lives? Are we doing that? You know, letting go is one of the hardest things to do. It's so easy to try to hold on to things, but we must trust that our Lord has something better. Letting go of a relationship, fear, hurt, past mistakes, sin, guilt, slander, anger, failures, regrets, worry, all of that stuff piles up and is easier when we realize that God is in control. Realize that God has allowed and used these things and these people in your life to build you up. And now you must move on towards him even better. What God has in store for you is, is you know, I, I read this this week and I wasn't really sure of it, but, but I read that God has, what God has in store for you is never in the past. I'm not sure I've, I fully can embrace that. I think God can use the past to do something to us in the present and the future. How many, how many of you, okay, don't put up your hand. This is, this is a really tough question. How many of you feel that you are better today because of some past hurt or difficulty that shaped you in a better way today because of it? Even though it's hurtful, even though it was painful, even though you probably never would have allowed yourself to, to experience that to the degree you did, did it not make you stronger? Did it not make you healthy? Did it not make you more wiser? Did it not allow you to see God's hand in the circumstances, the way it came about. I've got two quotes here from one from Dr. Henry Cloud and another from C.S. Lewis. The good cannot begin until the bad ends. And the second one, getting over a painful experience is much like crossing monkey bars. You have to let go at some point in order to move forward. Okay? Now this is, this is, this is, and by the way, this is like whitewashing the past in the sense that I'm just going to forget it, I'm just going to ignore it, I'm just going to put it away, I'm just going to tuck it so far in the back of my mind, it's, it's you know, and, and it's tucked so far back in the, in the back of your mind that that you don't even realize that it's triggering some kind of anger every time this thing happens in your life and you're responding in a particular way and you're shaking your head and, you know, and everybody's going, where did that come from? But it's bringing it to the forefront. It's looking at it from all angles and saying, you know, what, 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 what is this? What did it do to me? 
How's it affecting me? How's it triggering me? All, all of these kinds of things. And I know this probably, you know, from, from a, a clinical standpoint or from a therapeutic standpoint, there are, you know, tools that you can, you know, bring into your life to help you manage those things in a way that they don't become triggers and they don't become things that hurt you further on down the road. Okay? But many of us know that in some way or another, reading these things is a recognition that um, there's some truth to this. That I'm holding on to a pain, I'm holding on to a hurt, I'm holding on to a regret, okay? That maybe I need to let go a little bit. That maybe I need to give it over to God, okay? So how, like, so how do we negotiate the past? I want to give you a few, a few things. Navigating the past. Challenge it and reflect on it. This is not original to me. Somebody in our life group gave me this this week. Thank you for that. Thank you very much for that. But that's a problem. We don't challenge what we've grown up with in the past. Maybe something our parents taught us that you've learned is not true today. My parents taught me not to trust friends. That, that <laughs> you know, because um, my parents got burned many times. And what happened to them is that we were growing up, you know, um, they said, be careful of the people around you because the first opportunity, they'll let you down. Now, just think about that one for a moment and just think about how that affects me as a pastor getting close to people. Yeah. Yeah, you're playing it all out in your mind. I remember when John did this to me and now I know why. <laughs> right? You're just, you're just finding, yeah, yeah. It's not my, ex it's not my excuse. Okay? But, it's, but it's, it's, it's one of those things that I've had to you know, bring to the forefront and say, yeah, is that necessarily true? Okay? Do you want to know the positive thing that's happened out of that? I have friends today that I went to public school with, high school with, okay? And, and maybe it was because they taught me that, that I saw the value of those that truly were my friends, okay? I know that's only a mere 20 years ago, but... <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just a mere 20, okay? But that, but that was the other thing, you know? I, I learned to recognize authentic friendship. That's probably the, the, the positive uh, organ. But what it, whatever it is in your particular past, challenge it, reflect on it. Is it necessarily true? Is it something that's, that's become a barrier in your life? to something that God has more for you to enjoy, okay? Here's the second one, entrust it to God and look for signs of God's grace, his presence, or his power. You know, there, 
you know, I think all of us can say there's, there's so many experiences in my life I wish I did not go, go through at all, okay? You know, I know the darkest season of my life, at least from, from a, 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 a ministry standpoint, I would never want anyone to ever go through, ever, ever, ever. It was the most painful experience, and yet I happen to think that I'm much better as a leader because of it. Otherwise, um, I would have been doomed to repeat it. I would have been doomed to repeat it. But when you challenge it, when you reflect on it, entrust it to God, say, God, I don't understand it, but I know that you can do good out of a very painful experience. Whatever, whatever it is, lead me at least to embrace that and to see that. Okay? As, as I've said, the, you know, the darkest season of my particular life, I've had to reflect on it many, many times. And today, I look back on it, and I know why God put me through that. I know why God put me through that. Because there's certain things that I would not have had the, the, the dependency on God to work through if I had not gone through that experience. Okay? It's not easy. It's not easy reliving those moments. Let me tell you, it's not easy reliving them. And by the way, I'm not talking about absolute tragedies and traumas here. There are just some things, some categories of things that are just at a whole nother level of what we're generally talking about. Okay, let's just acknowledge that. There's some horrific things that have happened in the past, and it's like, and we're not talking about those things for you to, you know, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying God brought that into your life for, you know, I, I want to be very, very careful with that kind of language. Okay? But here's the, here's the third thing, is to build a resilient faith because of it. Okay? So many people are jettisoning their faith today because of, 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 of not only things that they're uncomfortable with in the Bible, but things that have happened in their life that, that makes them question a good God, makes question that God is good. Makes, you know, stuff happens. Life happens. Okay? But... Build a resilient faith. God wants to teach you something in every experience that you go through about building a resilient faith and being stronger in the long run for it. You know, you've, we've all heard, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily true, but whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Okay? I don't, I'm sorry? Or it kills you. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get to the point that I'm almost to death. Thank you very much, you know. I just, that's what I don't like about that particular statement, okay? You know, you can, you can, you can be near death, and anyway, it's not, it's not very good. But build a resilient faith. I just, you know, I've said this many, many times. Faith is the number one most important thing in your life. It's why the Bible is so clear about the object of that faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the first thing that the devil attacks, and it's the first thing most people want to jettison when life gets difficult. And yet, it's all about faith and the importance of faith and hanging on to that. 
And Jesus talks about being with us every step of the way. And Jesus will take us through it and be there in the midst of the valley and in the midst of the mountaintop. That Jesus is there beside us every single step of the way. He assured us of that. He assured us of that. Okay? All right. I want to I do a little, a little experiment, okay, as, as, as we wind down this morning. I'm going to give you five categories, five areas of life where I think many of us have been told something in the past that affects our future or affects our present, okay? And I'm going to give you five Bible verses that go contrary to probably what you've been taught about God or about these five areas, okay? Here's, here's how to challenge the past, okay? Because I, I argue that the Bible always gives us something that's going to challenge the past or the wrong information that we've got that's affected the way that we see the present and see the future, okay? The number one thing that many of us get messed up on is God, God himself. How many of us are told, you know, God is judgmental, God is after you, or God, you know, God doesn't care. God is removed from the realities of the world. God is this, God is this. And, then, and you're taught this stuff at a very year. And suddenly, this is your impression of God, right? And I've said, and again, I've said many, many times, what really makes me sad in this culture and this world that we live in is that people, most people who reject God don't reject the real God. They reject a caricature of God or a caricature of Jesus Christ. And often that caricature is painted through the people of the church. Positively and negatively. Okay? I, I was with people just yesterday who won't go to church anymore because they're tired of all the drama, all the shooting one another, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, spent, spent the day with him. Yeah, we're not interested in church anymore because of all of that. Okay, right? Here's what the Bible says about God. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. John 3, 16 and 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. How many of us forget that this is the way the Bible presents our heavenly father? And forget that this is what the Bible states repeatedly about the character and nature of God. And yet we find ourselves in circumstances where, oh, yeah, 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 there's God being judgmental on me again. There's God doing it to me again. There's God not caring about me again. Okay? So God is, God is the biggie that, you know, people have all kinds of attitude about. And I've said many, many times, you want to get to the crux of a person and you want to, you want to find out what a person thinks, there's only one question to ask them. Who is God to you? If, you wanna, you want, if you're, you're going to have a religious conversation with a person, that's all you need to ask, you know? Who is God to you? Or what is God like? That's another question you can ask. 
And you'll find out very quickly where the person stands when it comes to God. And then you can start having a conversation however you want to, want to have it. Right? Number two. Number two. Happiness. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Is that... No, it wasn't sarcasm. But what have you been taught about happiness? How many of you have, have you know, grew up in a, you know, and, and we're told we just want you to be happy? And suddenly, life is a mess. And happiness is like very fleeting. And you're going, I thought we were supposed to be happy. I thought life was supposed to be Perfect. What's God doing to me? Psalm 32 says this, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Okay? That's the path to happiness, but that's not the path that is often communicated. See, there's joy in life when we live under the forgiveness of our Heavenly Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? Here's number three, success. Okay, that, that's equal to happiness in one way or another. All right, how many of you have, have, have grown up saying, you know, success is, okay, right? You know, my, my poor mom, for a long time, she wouldn't tell anybody I was a pastor in a church. Okay, my poor mom. But she would tell people I was a professor. Okay, it, it's, so, it's so funny, you know, I'm, my poor mom, right? 92 years old, and she said, my professor's son, you know? But pastor, no, 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 no. No, no, that doesn't have the same success ratio, does it? You know? My mother-in-law is not in her head. Yep, I, I, I've been there when she does it. <laughs> okay? But what have, we, what have we been taught about success? What have we taught about success, you know, monetarily, um, you know, positionally, academically, all of those kinds of things, okay? But look what the Bible says. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Okay. Success takes a whole different, you know, Okay. Here's the next one. Love. What have you been taught about love? <laughs> You've got to find the perfect one. There's only one in this world for you. Um, yeah, you know. Um, you know how many times I've stood at the altar and I've had, uh, you know, for a wedding ceremony and I've had the guys on the side as the women are coming up and the guy says, well... Let's hope the first one works out. I could write a book on just what I've heard at the altar. <laughs> the, 
But some of the shocking things I've heard at the and it's like you look at the guy and go, uh-uh, buddy. Yeah, if, if the, you know, I want, I want you to retract that right now or I'm stopping the service right now. You ain't even going to get to one if you keep that up, right? You know, but love. But 1 Corinthians 13. How many of us have done this? Okay? Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never, faith, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now, how many of us think of that passage and we think of that's what I'm looking for in the other person? How many of you realize that this is a passage about what you? need to be that you should be the best version of this if you care for anyone else in this world okay that's that's love here's the last one here's the last one self-worth self-worth how many of you know um you're not going to ever add it how many of you had a teacher that said you're never going to get anywhere Okay, if you keep this up, Johnny, yeah, you know, or, or, or something like that, or you're hopeless, you know, all, all of those kinds of things. How many of us have something from the past that, that informs our self-worth? I said, I, you know, I, I can't remember what message I said. I said, how many of us, if we listed all the things that we love, how many of us would even include ourselves in that list? Okay. Here's Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The word masterpiece, by the way, in Greek is where we get the English word poetry from. We are God's poem. We are God's poetry. Okay? So we are God's poetry. How many of us realize that we are a masterpiece from the master's hands and forget our own self-worth based on what the creator has said we are? So, I'm going to take us back to the theme verse, because obviously it goes right back to this, that today we are being confident of this, that God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If there's one thing you need to learn is this last statement, is God is greater than our past and the mess it created. God is greater than our past and the mess it created. Can we trust him with that? Can we allow God to take 
the issues of our past and renew us in the present for a hopeful future on his grace and his mercy. Okay? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God of all time. And yet, Lord, there are things in us as human beings that allow us to live in a time that is long gone. And we do that by the pain or the hurt or the regret or the anger that we carry with us into the present that affects the way we live it out. Lord, we pray that you would take those moments and by your grace and mercy, bring good out of them. Reshape us. Teach us. Help us to learn from those so that we can be all that you intended us to be. Lord, help us to be forgiving. Help us to be thankful. And help us to be agents of your grace that we can live out these moments with empathy and see in others in that same light. So Lord, we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.